Lord, we thank you that we are privileged to partner with other brothers and sisters and this community and literally around the world. And I want to thank you for the special place that First Baptist Coco occupies in our hearts and our history. Lord, thank you that years ago, over 70 years ago, the people of First Baptist Coco had a passion that the gospel would be proclaimed in Merritt Island. So they helped plant a church, First Baptist Church, Merritt Island. Lord, we thank you for our partner, our, our fellow believers that are First Baptist Church Coco. And Lord, I thank you for Pastor Dean and how you have given him a passion for the gospel in the city of Coco. Lord, I pray that you would enable him, empower him by your Holy Spirit to proclaim the one and only word of God and gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray you would stir up a great awakening, a revival and spiritual renewal in this community. Lord, may it start among us. May it start with First Baptist Coco. May it be powerful and shake the foundations of this community for the name of Christ and the good of people during these dark and difficult days. Lord, would you lead us in the study of your word? Teach us what you want us to know. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe and obey all that Jesus is and says and does for those who trust in him. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. While you're turning to Mark 6, let you know a little bit of what's been going on in our family. Uh, Several weeks ago, my family and I spent Father's Day with my parents in Ohio. I told you a little bit about that. But while we were in uh, Ohio, mom announced to us that she had just finished a project she'd been working on since Christmas. She'd been organizing our old photos and putting them into um, albums. And it wasn't long. After that announcement that my daughters could be heard across the house cackling in laughter. And soon they were yelling out, Dad, you have to come see something. Well, I knew what was going on. I made my way to the girls as I rounded the corner. There they were with all those picture albums on the floor opened to, you know where, some of my childhood pictures, right? They just could not get over what they were seeing. My hair was a wreck. My glasses were huge. As a matter of fact, I mean, I could describe them to you. Would you like me to do that? I could actually show you a couple. Would you like to see some? Okay. Let's walk down memory lane. Let's look at this first one. There's little Titus. Oh, the world's smallest Lake Erie walleye being displayed there. Here's what I want you to notice about this photo. All of you engineers, just Take a gander at the fact that the distance from my chin to my hairline is actually less from the start of my hairline to the top of my hair. I mean, how's that even possible? That'd be like me walking in with hair this high, thinking you're all going to look at me like I'm normal. I mean, how's that even possible? I mean, that's the best we could do. Not even Moses could part that hair. I mean, I'm talking, it was not a coonskin cap, even if it looked like old Daniel Boone. Let me, let me show you the next one. This is after I got some glasses. Yeah, looking good. I think earlier I just couldn't see how bad my hair was to ask for a shorter haircut, and that was the best that we could do. These glasses are so thick, guys. If I sat by the window in school, the sun would come through and catch my papers on fire. Let me show you what I mean. Look at the close-up there. It literally distorts the shape of my head. 
people would come to look and talk to me and they couldn't look me in the eye because when they did, it would like go right through my head. So it's a total distortion of everything. It was just a a beautiful thing. Okay, that's enough of of that. Here's the story. My girls kept asking me as they looked at all these pictures of my childhood, Dad, is that really you? Is that really you? They had no frame of reference, praise be to the grace of our God, that contact lenses were invented. They have no frame of reference for me as a child. They can only see me through the lens of their grown-up dad. But here's the funny thing about that dynamic. When I go back to my hometown, there are lots of people who can only think of me in terms of who I was in those pictures. They can never take me seriously because every time they look at me, they see that kid with wacky hair and great big glasses. For them, I will always be the person they knew at 12 or 13 or 14. And here's the reality, guys. That's not unique to me. All of you can relate to that in some way. And maybe I'll talk to your moms and get some pictures of you. We'll flash on the screen for embarrassment's sake from childhood. But what might surprise us about that very familiar dynamic is this. Jesus dealt with that exact same thing. He went back to his hometown where people had known him from the time he was a child and had watched him grow up. And just like many of us, Jesus' hometown was filled with people who could only see him through the lens of who they'd always believed him to be. So rather than experiencing a hero's welcome as Jesus returns home, you know what he gets. He gets rejection. He gets scorn. He gets people who don't want anything to do with him. And that's what our next passage of scripture in the study of Mark is all about. It's a visit to Jesus' hometown. So let's look at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and see what Jesus endured when he went home. Verse 1 says this, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. This is the word of God for us this morning. What a heartbreaking scene. I mean, Jesus returns to his hometown to a group of people who knew him well and would have known him throughout his entire earthly life, and they don't want anything to do with him. He'd done nothing wrong. He'd literally done everything right, and they want nothing to do with who should have been their hometown hero. Verse 3 says they actually took offense at him. And verse 6 we find an insight or a clue as to why we're being given this story of the rejection of Jesus in his hometown. Verse 6 says that Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. So this is a story that's about unbelief. And something you need to know is that in the original language of the Bible, the word that's translated belief is the same word that's translated faith most of the time. So unbelief literally means 
unfaith or no faith. So this is a story about what it looks like when people don't have faith in Jesus. And I just want to clarify, I can't really expound on this, but it's important to note that this isn't a story that's talking about little faith. It's not talking about immature faith that needs to grow and mature over time. It's not even really a a, a passage that's about how we all can struggle with doubts. This is talking about no faith. This is talking about a firm refusal to believe Jesus and to reject him for who he is and what he claims and what he'll do. It's about unbelief, no belief, no faith. And here's why I make that point. It's important to know that that's really where we are in this section of the book of Mark. In this section, what we're seeing is a collection of Christ's teaching, of his miracles, of his interactions that are focusing on the nature of faith and how Jesus was building faith into the life of his disciples. As a matter of fact, going back to chapter 4, you'll remember Jesus told a series of parables. And those parables focused on what a heart that has true faith in the gospel of Jesus actually looks like. And then in chapter 5, last chapter, we saw the interactions that Jesus had with a few people who placed genuine faith in him. Later on in this chapter, chapter 6, Jesus is going to feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fishes. And the point of that story is that he's building up the faith of his disciples. Next chapter, chapter 7, Jesus will be found walking on the water to his disciples in the midst of that storm. And that story is about their faith being built in the person of Jesus. So this whole section... These few chapters that we're in are all about genuine saving faith and how Jesus is building it into the lives of his disciples. But right here in the middle of those stories about faith, we have a story about unfaith or unbelief. Mark is teaching us, in essence, what faith is by showing us, in essence, what faith isn't. Yeah, I said that right. He's showing us what faith is by teaching us what faith isn't. It's called teaching from the negative. And all of you are probably familiar with the concept of teaching from the negative. For instance, when you teach your kids about animals, you may bring out a picture of a horse and you'll teach your kids that a horse is a a big animal with four legs and a tail that lives out in the country. And you'll say, hey kids, that's a horse. Put the kids in the car and then you drive through the vast countryside of West Coco and you might pass a swamp full of cows. And I'm from Ohio. I still can't understand the whole swamp cow situation, but you'll see cows out in the swamps of Coco and your kids might point out the window and say, look, horses, right? They've got four legs and a tail and live out in the country swamps of Florida. And you then have to do something called teaching from the negative. You have to teach them. Well, horses don't have horns and horses' tails look different than cows' tails. And horses don't have udders the way that cows do. So for our kids to know what a horse is, they have to know what a horse isn't. They learn from the negative. A horse isn't a cow. And that's the exact thing that Mark is doing in this section. Through the inspiration of the Spirit, what Mark is doing is teaching us from the negative. He's saying, here is what faith is. 
by showing us a picture of what faith isn't. And so before we walk a little bit at a time through this text, I just want to give you the big idea that we learn about faith from the negative story here of unbelief. Here's our big idea for this morning. Faith believes Jesus for more than we can understand and is blessed by Jesus with more than we can imagine. Faith believes Jesus for more than we can understand and is blessed by Jesus with more than we can imagine. Okay, now let me dig in a little bit at a time and show you where we're learning that from this negative story of unbelief. First, we'll look at that important primary phase at the beginning of our big idea. Faith believes Jesus for more than we can understand. Look at verse 1 again. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands. Okay, stop right there. Jesus' hometown is a little obscure village called Nazareth. And historians estimate that at the time of Christ's life on earth, Nazareth had about 500 people living in it. And I don't care where you're from, 500 people is a pretty small hometown, right? So it's safe to say that everyone in Nazareth knew everyone else in Nazareth really, really well. And on the Sabbath day in Nazareth, the Jews would gather at their local synagogue. And on this particular one, Jesus is the one there in the middle of the synagogue teaching the people of Nazareth who know him really, really well. And notice what verse 2 says about how they respond to what Jesus says. It says that they, many who heard him were astonished. They were astonished. That word astonished literally means to strike out of one's senses. It's kind of like the picture of getting hit on the head and being knocked out of your senses. It means to be amazed to the point of being overwhelmed. It's kind of like how we might say, that just blows my mind. You guys ever been in a situation like that? Where where you were experiencing or seeing something that just... It was disorienting to you. It kind of blew your mind. Anybody ever had that? Four of you have had that. How about I tell you a story of one that I walked through. When I was in college, I worked at a golf course. And one of my primary jobs was to mow the putting greens at the golf course. And since golfers start at first light in the mornings, we had to begin mowing greens just ahead of those early rising golfers. We had to get there before sunrise. And one morning, I'm driving to the course to go mow those greens. Not only was it dark, there was also a really dense fog that was lying very low on the road. And that's when something happened. A life-changing event. Out of nowhere, up ahead of me, about a mile down the road, there emerged a beam of light straight down on the road. I mean, it was shining brightly as a pillar of light there on the road in front of me. And as I looked at it, I remember trying to figure out what was going on. I could tell it wasn't the beams of a car light that would spread out in multiple directions. It was a single beam of light coming down out of heaven and a single beam of light shining down over out from heaven over a road could only mean one thing, aliens. (laughs) But I don't believe in aliens. At least I didn't at the time until I moved. No, but I could not 
figure out what was going on. So I slowed down a bit and I thought, I'll buy myself a little bit of time, figure out what's going on or let this light go away. But the longer time passed, the brighter the pillar of light actually became. And by this time, my mind really is starting to race. I mean, I know it was like 4.30 in the morning and I was really trying to figure things out. I could not believe my eyes, but I also couldn't deny what I was seeing. This solid beam, have I covered this yet? A solid beam of light, people, piercing through the fog on the road up ahead of me. And even though I didn't believe in aliens, I couldn't think of a single plausible explanation. And I'm sure you think I'm embellishing this, but you saw what kind of kid I was. (laughs) I was panicked. And I almost turned around and drove the other way. I I really did. Uh, But then I thought, I'm driving a 1987 Honda that can't outrun a shopping cart, let alone a spaceship. Where do I think I'm going to go? So I keep on driving into the light like every movie I've ever seen, prepared that I would request that they would take me to their leader and hope that they had come in peace, right? Just as I'm coming into the light, I found out what's going on. You want to know? Yeah. Because of the fog, I couldn't see that I was approaching a really high, steep hill in the road. And since it was a high, steep hill, I couldn't see that on the other side, at the top, was a very dense tree line that the road had been cut through. And coming up the other side of that high, steep hill, there was another car. And it was climbing up the hill, so it's facing upward. That means its lights were shining up into the fog and somehow kind of being reflected down there into the middle of the road. And those tree lines on either side of the road were making it look like a single pillar of light shining down through the fog. My senses were overwhelmed. I hadn't gone through anything like that before, so I couldn't figure out what was going on no matter how hard I tried. I didn't have a category for that scenario other than the crazy things I'd seen on movies. And that dynamic is what Mark is recording occurred in Jesus' hometown. They can't make sense of something they're experiencing. They are hearing the teachings of Jesus and they are acknowledging he's teaching like no one we've ever heard before. They're even experiencing somehow his miracles, whether it's firsthand or whether it's through word of mouth. And they're not denying that Jesus is working miracles. As a matter of fact, look what they're willing to admit in verse 2. It says, where does this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him, how are such mighty works done by his hands? They're not denying Jesus. As a matter of fact, they're willing to admit some really important things about Jesus. They admit he teaches with this uncommon wisdom, with authority, with a type of logic that no one in this place could dispute. They don't deny that about Jesus. They also don't deny that his works are mighty. At the very least, they had heard he was a miracle worker. But verse 6 tells us that he actually did heal people while he was in Nazareth. So it's possible that they're actually looking at some firsthand accounts of people who'd been healed by the miracle working power of Jesus. So they admit he is teaching as a powerful teacher. They admit that his miracles are real. So then what's the problem, right? You can see his teaching, you hear it, you, you believe it's wise, 
You see his power in his miracles. Like, what's the problem? What's the deal? Well, look at verse 3. We see what the deal is. They say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and and Simon? I just got carried away with the J's. And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. You see the problem, right? The problem is they can't understand how the carpenter who fixed their roofs and had made the doors to their homes could possibly be the son of God who could forgive their sins and make them right with God the Father. They can't figure Jesus out. They don't have a category for him. They don't understand him. Even more, it says they call him the son of Mary. Now, that's a really unique thing for someone to say about a Jewish man in the first century because Jews identify with their fathers. Just go through the genealogies. I know it's probably most of your favorite portions of Scripture to read in the Bible, but all those genealogies that say this person, the son of, it's always, almost always, a man. And there has to be some notable or exceptional reason why someone would be referred to as the son of, of their mother. And many scholars think that the reason why the people in Jesus' hometown referred to Jesus as the son of Mary is because these people would have been the one group of people on the face of the earth who would have known the family secret. Remember, Jesus was not the son of Joseph. And remember, Mary was actually discovered. That word discovered that describes Mary being discovered with child is a word that hints at the fact that it became so obvious that she was pregnant that the whole town discovered it. She couldn't hide it anymore. And so there are many scholars who believe that these people in Nazareth are referring to Jesus as the son of Mary because they believed he was the illegitimate child of an unfaithful woman. And so it's very possible that as they look at Jesus, they don't have a category for what they think is taking place. Namely, that the illegitimate child of an unfaithful woman would somehow be the one that God had chosen to be the anointed Messiah of Israel. And that even though Joseph wasn't Jesus' father, they could not make the leap that Jesus would be the son of God himself. They can't understand him. They can't reason to themselves the reality of who we know Christ is. And so verse 3 says, they took offense at him. That phrase means to be repelled by someone or to stumble or trip over something. And the picture is this as they're unable to reason and understand and rationalize what Jesus says and does and who he is, they fall away from Jesus. They stumble in unbelief. They are only willing to believe Jesus as far as they can understand Jesus. And since they can't fully understand Jesus, they don't believe in him. And guys, that teaches us a powerful lesson in genuine faith. Genuine faith believes Jesus for more than we can understand. Guys, that's not to say that faith is irrational or that we shouldn't use our brains that God gave us to contemplate the evidence 
that we have for the existence of Jesus or the proof of his resurrection, certainly we should look at that evidence and look at it reasonably. Jesus isn't irrational. Jesus is super rational. What I mean is that Jesus is so far and high above us that our pea-sized brains, and yeah, I said you have a pea-sized brain, You cannot ever get to the place where you will fully understand everything about who Jesus is or what he does or why he works or how he does it. Listen to Isaiah 55. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than Your thoughts. Let me say this to you, friend. Jesus' ways are higher than yours. His thoughts, the way he thinks about things, you, your life, this world, they're higher than your thoughts. That means Jesus will do things in ways that you just won't understand. And if you wait... To understand everything about Jesus before you're willing to place your true faith and trust in Jesus, then you will never trust in Jesus. And friend, that is a word for every one of us today. You see, there are some in this room who cannot understand how the death of Jesus on the cross can provide forgiveness of our sin. Or even how Jesus could be really truly dead and then rise from the dead and literally be alive today reigning in heaven until he returns to set this world straight. They can't understand everything about that and their lack of understanding keeps them from turning to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's called stumbling in unbelief, taking offense at Jesus. And I know there are many people in this room who would say, that's not me. I do believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and has made me right with God. I want to warn you that this attitude of unbelief can be present in smaller ways or less detectable ways in our lives. For instance, there are some who can't understand how Jesus can make a portion of their income go further than 100% of their income. So they don't give the way that Jesus tells us to give. That's called stumbling in unbelief. And I know you think I'm meddling this morning. I didn't write the Bible. I just report it. Some people can't understand how Jesus could make this claim that sexual purity will be more gratifying and satisfying than sexual pleasure. So they indulge in sexual immorality. You know what that's called? That's called stumbling in unbelief. Some can't imagine how Jesus could say that he will make everything in their lives work together for their good. So they run away from anything that's uncomfortable or undesirable. That's called stumbling and unbelief. Some can't understand how Jesus can give peace in the midst of life's storms. So they avoid any circumstance that looks like it could threaten their peace of mind or take them out of their comfort zone. That's called stumbling and unbelief. Is there anybody in this room today who's walking through something difficult and undesirable? Any of y'all have something going on in your life where you are thinking in the honest recesses of your heart, Jesus, I just don't understand what you're doing in me and around me. 
Some of you who are walking through the darkest days of your life and you're saying, Jesus, I cannot figure out how this could be a part of your good plan. Your prodigal isn't coming home. They're moving further away. Your doctor's report has brought back terrible news. Your marriage is falling apart. Your job is falling apart. Your world is falling apart. And you can't figure out how or why Jesus is allowing it or how he'll ever bring it around to be part of a good and glorious plan. Friend, if you are in that place, beware. In this life, you will never be able to completely figure Jesus out. His ways are higher than yours. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Friend, in the midst of the place of life where you can't understand What Jesus is doing, beware of leaning on your own understanding. You don't have to understand how Jesus will give you peace in the middle of your storm. You don't have to understand how Jesus will give you hope in the middle of your grief. You don't have to understand how Jesus will supply your every need. You don't have to understand how Jesus will give you victory over addiction. You don't have to understand how Jesus is going to work all things in your life today including the mess in Washington and the craziness down the street together for your good and his glory. You don't have to understand because faith doesn't understand how Jesus will keep all his promises. Faith simply believes he will. And that's a word for weary hearts who are tempted to stumble over something today. And my question for you is this, what would it look like if right now in this place you humbly bowed before a Jesus you don't understand? And you said in that place of your life where you can't figure out what he's doing and you can't figure out how it's going to be good and you can't figure out how it's going to work together and you can't figure out how that prodigal's finally going to come home. And you can't figure out how you're going to face tomorrow. Knowing the news you've received today, you can't figure out what would it look like if in humble faith you bowed before Jesus and you just said, Jesus, I don't understand you, but I trust you. Faith believes Jesus. For more than we can understand. And when we will come to that place. Where we will believe him. Beyond understanding him. Something truly amazing takes place. And I just want to show you this in a couple minutes. Look at the rest of this chapter. Or not the rest of this chapter. Hold on. I know you just had a heart attack. Verses 4 through 6. Three verses. Jesus said to them. A prophet is not without honor. Except in Middletown, Ohio. Oh, that's my hometown. That's a different one. (laughs) Except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. 
And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. He says, Jesus could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Now, I want you to be careful in how you interpret what Mark is saying. He is not saying that our unbelief limits the power of Jesus, okay? Jesus is always as powerful as Jesus always is. And if you followed that, you deserve a degree, but I can't confer it on you. Guys, that's not the case. That's not the case. As a matter of fact, you would need to notice that Mark is telling us Jesus did miracles there. You see that, right? He healed sick people in Nazareth. Even more, as you go throughout the Gospels, you find there are plenty of instances where Jesus did miracles for people who seem to have no faith at all. For instance, in John chapter 11, Jesus shows up outside the tomb of Lazarus and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And I'm pretty sure based on forensic reports that a dead man doesn't have any faith. You know why? Because he's dead. Jesus' power wasn't limited by Lazarus' death and inability to believe. So what's going on? Well, here's what I believe that Mark is saying. He's saying that there is a work that Jesus does that's even mightier than the miracles he performed when he healed people of their diseases and raised people from the dead. Jesus has a power to bring even greater blessing than physical healing into our lives. Namely, when Jesus saves people from their sin and restores them to fellowship with God, their Father, that is a mightier work of His powerful grace and mercy. And the reality is this, that God has ordained that those blessings of the salvation power of Jesus only are experienced by those who have personal faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see that the full blessing of Christ's power comes to those who place their faith and trust in Jesus as the Lord of their lives and the Savior of their souls. The full blessing of Christ's mighty saving power are only experienced through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And what Mark is showing us then is that unbelief separates us from that full blessing of Christ's power. That's why he could do no mighty work in Nazareth. And that teaches us the second part of our big idea. Not only does genuine faith believe Jesus for more than we can understand, genuine faith is blessed by Jesus with more than we can imagine. A mightier work of God than the physical healing of your bodies is ours to experience through Jesus Christ. Listen, when you trust in Jesus... Beyond what you can understand about Jesus or beyond what you can figure out about how he's going to do it. When you simply in humble faith trust Jesus, he unleashes the full blessing of his power in our lives. And those blessings are more than you could ever imagine. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, as it is written... 
What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Friend, hear the word of God and believe it beyond your ability to understand it. In Jesus Christ, God has prepared blessings for you that you can't even imagine with your previously referenced pea-sized brains. And that is good news. Can you imagine being able to confidently walk into the very presence of Almighty God and ask Him for anything? Well, Hebrews 4, 16 says, Jesus has made that blessing a reality for you when you trust in him. Can you imagine inheriting every single thing in this universe that belongs to God? What belongs to God? Everything in this universe. Can you imagine inheriting all of that? That's quite a haul, isn't it? Well, Romans 8, 17 says, Jesus has made that blessing a reality for you when you trust in him. Can you imagine being considered by God himself to be as righteous as God himself? Can you imagine that? Ask the person sitting next to you whether they consider you to be as righteous as God. And if they're your spouse, that's why all of you laughed. I get it. Imagine God considering you to be as righteous as As God himself, which is why he lets you into his heaven. Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus has made that blessing a reality for you when you trust in him. Can you imagine being more than a conqueror over every pain and persecution of this crazy upside down world? Well, Romans 8 says that Jesus has made that blessing a reality for you when you trust in him. Can you imagine the darkest and most difficult things in your life today being used by God to bring you the greatest good of being made just like Jesus. Well, Romans eight twenty eight says that Jesus has made that blessing a reality for you when you will trust in him. Can you imagine living in the paradise of heaven, enjoying eternal pleasures forevermore that come from God himself? Well, Revelation 21 in Psalm 16, 11 says that Jesus has made that blessing a reality for you when you trust in him. And believe me, if it weren't for lunch, I could go on and on and on. When you trust in Jesus beyond what you can understand about Jesus, he releases the full blessing of his power in ways that you can't even begin to imagine today. So the most important question for every man, woman, and child in this place today and all over planet Earth is this. Is your faith and trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone? Are you depending on Christ to do for you what you can't do for yourself? Where are you stumbling in unbelief because you just can't quite figure him out? More than you can understand and more than you could ever imagine. The call for you today is to simply bow before Jesus and trust him. So will you trust him? Will you trust him? You bow your heads in prayer with me. 
if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus as the Lord of your life and the Savior of your soul, right now, today is your day. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would have opened your eyes to the reality that Jesus truly is your one and only hope, that he lived a perfect life you failed to live and died a death on the cross you should have died. And though you may not understand it, you're called to believe it, that Jesus has provided forgiveness of your sin and restoration with God as you will trust in his perfect work at the cross. And that though Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. He rose again to new life, so he will raise you up to a brand new life. If you're willing to trust Jesus, right now, this moment, would you call on Christ? Confess your sin and acknowledge your Savior. And in faith, believe the gospel. Believe in Jesus. And claim the promise that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved by Jesus. For those of you that say, I'm trusting in Jesus, what area of your life are you struggling to trust in Jesus today? Where is that dark place, that difficult circumstance that's causing you to struggle to believe because you can't figure out what he's doing? Because you can't see around the corner. Right now, would you just say, Jesus, my desire is to trust you there. Help me trust you. Help me believe you. Father, we thank you that Christ is fully and completely the Son of God, the Savior of our souls, the glorious, victorious, and resurrected King. And Lord, our heart, I pray, Lord, would be that we would trust Jesus with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. Would you help us with that, Father? Would you help my brothers and sisters let go of the things they can't quite figure out? Those circumstances they just don't understand, would you help them to lay that down this morning and say, I trust Jesus, even though I don't understand? And Lord, stir our hearts to be filled with hope that when we trust Jesus, He, by grace, unleashes blessing we can't even imagine, but we'll fully receive by his grace. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name.